Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business that you are proud of. Welcome to another edition of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. I'm Ross LeCain and today we've got Craig Vaughan. He's the director of MAP Home Loans and you may also know him as the founder and product manager of Broker Engine. Welcome, Craig. G'day, Ross. Great to be with you. Uh, I hear a lot of good things about what you've done in the broking space and also with Broker Engine. So I'm really keen to unpack a, a bit about what's behind the success and what's led to the creation of Broker Engine today. So, but I. Before we get into it, I'm keen to understand a bit of the background and tell me how you got started in the industry. Yeah, look, I, um, I, um, look, no one sort of comes out of high school, I guess, you know, knowing what a, uh, what a mortgage broker is. So I actually went through law school and graduated law school in around 2005 and uh, went to work as a lawyer for, uh, for a short period of time. I was paid 30 grand a year, stressed out of my brain, working, you know, big days. And the lawyers above me were, didn't look like their lives were any better. So pretty early on in my lawyering career of bankrupting people and, and all this sort of pretty depressing stuff, um, I gave it up. I gave it up pretty quickly. So I went through law school for five years and and ditched that. And I went back to, um, when I was going through law school, I was uh, a croupier at the casino dealing roulette and blackjack and, and things like that. And I went back there. It was a you know fun place to work and good money at the time and saved up for my first house. And it was in the process of buying my first house, a little little modest $287,000 three-bedroom in Daisy Hill, south of Brisbane, um, that the mortgage broker comes around. It was my first introduction to a mortgage broker, you know, and um, and that's where it sort of started. You know, I started asking, what do you do? How do you get paid? And um, all this sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, that's how I began my career in mortgage broking, basically, by my first house. Yeah. So was it a case of... Hey, I think I can do it better than him. Or hey, he's so good; it looks interesting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a crack at this myself. Look, it looked, it looked interesting. And, and one of the books I read when I was like 18 was a book called um, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" by Robert Kiyosaki, and it was all about you know, everyone's probably read it. It's all about you know yeah. building passive income, and it's um, so passive income was always something that I was always looking for, but I didn't know where to find it. And um, as soon as I heard the word trail and the and the concept of building up this passive income, that sort of sold me a little bit. Uh, also, the idea of helping people as well. I mean, it looked like, um, you know, helping people get their first homes and things like that was kind of exciting. It was a big risk at the time, you know, like I had just given up five years of law. You know, my family was probably, uh, I don't know what they were thinking actually at the time. But um, so it was a bit of a risk. But um, but yeah, I, just, I had, gave it a crack and, and feel very fortunate to have done so. You know, if I hadn't done it, I'd still be a lawyer, which would be a shit life. So, yeah. so isn't that a great book, The Rich Dad, Poor Dad? and for any brokers who haven't read it, you know, if you read, even read just the first half of it, you get the basic concepts. And, you know, I think those graphs in the book in terms of, you know, how the rich mm. get their money and how the, the middle class is sort of, um, you know, buy liabilities rather than assets. And the whole thing around, you know, a passive income and mm. you know, I often reflect and, you know, being in, in the, the business where we built a bill over a billion dollar loan book. And obviously I still receive income from, from that today. So I know yeah. the, the value and power of, of building that recurring 
income. And then it's interesting, you've also got into a software business, which also has that sort of recurring income mm. from, you know, not trailing, but from a subscription model. Sure. But it's a similar, you know, similar sort of business where you get the recurring sort of revenues, right? Look, if, if yeah, look, um, I didn't start out to set out to start a software company and I certainly would, you know, advise against it generally. Um, it's, a, it's a tricky game. Uh, but if you can get the flywheel spinning, you know, and you can get an app up and running, it's very hard. Like until I, I think people looking from the outside, oh, it's easy to start a software company. You know, it's easy to do it and, it, and it's hard. It's harder than you would think. And, um, but yeah, if you can get that flywheel spinning, you can get, you know, users signing up and sticking around and a stable app and a stable product and so on, then yeah, look, the subscription model is good, but you know, I think what 99% of startups fail. So yeah, it's a risky, a risky game, far better, far more profitable to remain a mortgage broker. Let's put it that yes. way. Yeah. Uh, okay, good, good. And so that you got started. So that was back mm. in 2005. 2526, something like that. Yeah, I think 2006 yeah. when I started. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so tell me what were the early days like in terms of how did you go about getting clients back in the early days? Yeah. So I, I got sort of lucky. I, um, I initially I was going to go out by myself, you know, like, and, and, you know, just a solo broker, knowing nothing, you know, a 26 year old kid or something, you know. And um, quickly within a month, worked out that you're going to run out of friends and family pretty quickly. And to be honest, um, probably shouldn't be practicing on friends and family. It's a good way to, you know, uh, lose them. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up um, making a decision at the time to go for, to work at a company called ABC Mortgages. And they paid, it was like 40%. You got 40% upfront, 40% trail. They took 60, 60, you got 40, 40. Um, but it was, you know, 40% of a lot. You know, they, they it was the early stages of realestate.com, 100% mortgages. It was just leads galore. You literally could get, you know, anyway, unlimited leads. So um, made the decision pretty quickly to go the 40-40 model, um, you know, and get a lot of that rather than, you know, 90% of not much. And yeah. um, that worked really well. You know, you, you burn their leads, you know, like you learn on their leads, you burn their leads, you know, and, and you sort of, um, you know, uh, but you, and obviously win quite a few as well. But that's how I sort of got the start. I, um, yeah, made a decision to go there and thank God for that. Yeah. yeah. This is an interesting point. And it's a point that I quite often, you know, have discussion with experienced mortgage brokers because, mm. you know, if you look at the profit margins and obviously I look at the profit margins of a lot of the businesses that I coach and you look at the profit margins may only be, you know, around that 40 to 50% mm. marks in a lot of mortgage broking businesses, right? So yeah, yeah. then you look at the opportunity like the one that you were, you know, presented early on in your career. Hey, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not working to really earn at this. I'm working to learn, right? So yes. how am I actually going to learn more? Am I going to learn more in a business where I've got an abundant amount of leads? Yes, I might not be getting... 100% of the commission, but I'm getting 40%, which, hey, if I was a business owner with all these overheads, I might only end up with 40 to 50% in my pocket anyway. So I'm guaranteed the business um, coming in and it's allowing to me to really learn my craft. And, you know, I think, you know, this broking, broking business is a bit of a me too business that people you know, are in these positions and maybe they're working under someone and they're, you know, they're in a position where they're earning good money and they don't have any other expenses, but 
they mm. want the next thing. But quite often, the amount of experience that they're gaining from being in that type of role is invaluable to where their career may progress. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. I mean, in the first, I remember with the nine months of being at, at that firm with unlimited leads, sitting at my desk one day and finally feel, and this is unlimited leads, you know, like so talk to a lot of clients, burning a few leads, you know, different, seeing a variety of different issues, you know, different sort of lending types and things like that. It was nine months of full time before I remember sitting at my desk thinking, I actually feel comfortable now. I feel comfortable that when I get on the phone with that client, I actually know what I'm talking about. I actually broadly know the answers. Nine months, and that's nine months of, you know, 60 hours of just constant struggle and battle, you know, and um, 100%. I, all new brokers, if you're starting out, you know, definitely go go, go somewhere that's got plenty of leads so you can learn, you know, for sure. And that, you know, the other uh, way to do it and the way to give your potential brokers exposure is to put them in like a some sort of loan processing role, whether it's a power broker. Uh, I used to call them a loan approval solutions partner because they weren't an assistant, they were a partner in my business. And by growing them in that role, by me doing, you know, 50 mortgages a month, they're going to get a lot more exposure to a lot more deals than them trying to write five on their own, right? So, you know, in 10 months, they get the exposure to one Mm -hmm. month working with the scenarios that that I'm showing them, right? So, uh, and obviously the conversion rates are going to be a lot higher than if they were to come a broker straight away. So, yeah, definitely agree with you in terms of a great training ground to, to get exposure to as many um, loans as you possibly can well look i also don't do i don't do loans for friends and family to this day except for when i do except for the one time i do but i, I don't do them I, I avoid it like the plague the it's always the loan that goes bad and i relearn this lesson every time i, I did a i did a loan for my brother-in-law a couple of months ago I haven't done a loan for friends and family because oh, this is a vanilla deal i'll just do it i'll help them out i'll do it right sure enough it's the one loan you know that that goes wrong you know you get a valuation comes in and the valuers put it at a risk rating of five and it's like what the what are you talking about you know so yeah I, I relearned that lesson over and over again I do not do loans to friends and family and every now every two or three years I'll relearn the same lesson uh, but yeah anyway yes yeah okay so yeah that's the obviously the start and then you you grow um you sort of you you and I can see in the back there you've got some sort of top AFG sort of broker awards no. so you know, talk to us about the transition from starting to being a top AFG broker. Yeah, look, I think um, about 2000 and I mean, the GFC hit somewhere in there and uh, 100% lending went away. But during my experience working with all these leads, I developed a bit of a niche in uh, non-resident lending. So clients in Australia that were on a visa, a spouse visa or living abroad, expats or whatever. And, um, and so I developed, developed a bit of niche. So I ended up going out on my own, uh, starting sort of MAP home loans, which was focused around that niche of temporary and non-residents. Um, and I wouldn't have known that niche had I not had that initial experience at ABC Mortgages with you know unlimited leads and seeing what's out there. And um, so I just targeted this particular niche, dominated that as far as, you know, um, lots of marketing and so on, and ended up sort of growing... I think I was like, I don't know, certainly top five broker in Queensland for AFG, you know, for a few years in a row, um, just on the back of um, targeting that, just focusing on my niche and on, you know, great client experience and, you know, sort of trying to automate the process a bit so I wasn't sort of bogged down in the weeds too much. Yeah. Yeah. 
back when non-resident lending was a bit easier than it is today. <laughs> look, look, I think um, it's funny because often brokers say to me, oh, you know, oh no, you know, this this bank's pulled out of the, the non-resident market or whatever. And it's like, look, as long as I've got one lender, as long as there's one lender, I'm good. You know, because the less the less people out there that can do a non-resident mortgage, the better. You know, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but yeah, look, definitely, there's still uh, still options, but it's certainly a lot tougher these days. Yeah. All right. So then that led you, and again, I think there's some great points. And as you mentioned previously, I often talk about the power of a niche, and a lot of people are scared to niche because mm. they think it's actually going to exclude them from doing other sort types of business but you know just confirm for us in your point did it exclude you from doing the refinance the first time buyers that sort of thing no look it didn't i mean um you know i targeted that niche and then you would get you know when they got citizenship you would now be doing their refinances you'd get their friends and family um just by i thought my marketing was focused around a niche it didn't mean that's all i did uh certainly i wouldn't do things like you know construction fire like um you know development finance or super loans, super fund loans or anything like that. But I did, I just stuck to my niche, what I was good at. Every now and then I I would learn the lesson, you know, it was like, oh, that's, oh, I'll do that super fund loan. Yeah, okay, you know, I'll do it. And then of course it takes 30 hours and you stuff it up because you don't know how to do it. Um, you know, so you learn the lesson. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. You know, I'm going to stick to my niche. So every, every few years again, you relearn the lesson. But certainly sticking to the niche is, uh, is is key so you can provide that great client experience every time. And yeah. Good, good. So now we're top five broker in AFG. We're, um, when does the sort of the, the thought of creating something like Broker Engine um, and the need to have these systems and processes sort of come into your business? Is that something that was always there? This sort of, you always had that highly systemized business or it was something that you sort of developed out of necessity? Yeah, developed it out of necessity really. So in around 2011, I started building systems. Some of your, your listeners or yourself might remember a software solution called ACT by Sage. It's still around. Yeah. And so I ended up, you know, starting on ACT. It was quite simple and, and pushed that as far as I could. Uh, but ultimately what I was doing was I was trying to solve challenges in my own practice. I was trying to have it so that I was just focused on loan strategy, structure, talking to clients. And I had sort of a really good systems and processes where, you know, we automated what we could and we delegated what we could to, to you know, loan processes or whatever. And I didn't want a practice that was, you know, heavily reliant on having a gun CSM or a gun loan processor, you know, a unicorn, you know, they're hard to find, hard to keep, hard to retain. So I wanted a practice that was very much technology driven um, that my team could just follow the bouncy ball. And um, ultimately, so I was building my own solutions, my own practice. And then look, in 2015, 2016, Broker Engine sort of came about. It wasn't on purpose. It sort of just uh, evolved into, uh, from interest from other brokers, sort of evolved into its own platform. Yeah, Love it, love it. And, you know, we spoke just in the start, you know, talking about one of the things you mentioned was, you know, fireproofing not firefighting. I love that sort of whole concept. So yeah, talk to me a little bit about how brokers can, you know, fireproof rather than firefight. Everything is a trade-off. Uh, you know, so for us, we do a lot of fireproofing, meaning that, you know, we will complete checklists at given stages of the loan. Obviously, uh, we will, um, I never want a client to ever call me. You know, I don't want the client to ever call me. If the client calls me and says, you know, when's my first repayment due or where's my loan up to, or, you know, what's my repayment amount or whatever it might be. 
I think I should have already told you that, right? So I never want the client to ever call me. So fireproofing means things like checklists. It means things like pre-sponding, you know, answering the question before it's asked. Um, it means things like obviously constant updates, even if there is no update. Fireproofing is just really all about making sure the client never calls you, basically. Um, it is trade-offs because it will take you, you know, let's, let's talk about a deal. It might take half an hour longer for a deal, you know, to do that five-minute checklist at formal approval, to do the 10 minutes at settlement to get all their payment details and plug it in, to prepare a advice at submission or ready to settlement with where the authority to debit details are coming from. You know, it'll take extra time, right? Um, but the trade-off is you spend that half an hour of that fireproofing and, you know, hopefully it means you'll save at least half an hour every deal from an aggregate by not having to roll it back because the pricing wasn't applied or, you know, someone sent the discharge authority in when it shouldn't have been because it was a fast refi or, you know, whatever it might be. So the idea really around fireproofing is taking that extra, a little bit extra time to make sure everything's good uh, rather than sort of sitting there being a bit reactive and waiting for, you know, the next fire, basically. Yeah, you know, in doing, you know, up to 100 loans uh, a mm. month in our business, yeah. uh, it, yeah. you know, even when you've got a small percentage of deals that, mm. you know, have to come back for a rework. And I was sitting in a broker's yes. office this morning. We're having the same conversation, right? He was talking about the need for checklists in mm. terms of collecting that upfront documents. And I do yeah. a lot where I'll do a Kaizen process uh, with some elite clients and I'll map out the business and we'll go through two things, right? Lead time and complete and accuracy. And the amount of time that it takes when something hasn't been fireproofed and goes off the, the rails. And when we look at lead time, it's not just the time to fix the problem. It's the time that it takes you actually get the email out of your email for someone to actually process it and request it. It's the time to document the email to request that from the client to try yeah. calling and then the time waiting for that information to actually come back, you know, in some cases it can be up to a week to solve a MIR or um, mm. and the, all the follow-up touch points that happen within that process, right? So I mean, if you have a, a small percentage of um, deals, let's say you've got, you know, 10%, um, you know, that's still... 10 hours times two is probably 20 hours where you sort of wasted just on that one error, right? That could have easily been fixed if some fireproofing was done up front. It's also the stress and the angst, you know, like, um, you know, uh, missing deadlines, um, having to bother your BDMs because you didn't check that the pricing was applied, you know, and the docs have to be rolled back. And so now your BDMs are pissed off because they got to go and sort out your, you know, a problem that you probably should have picked up on a formal approval as part of your checklist. Um, this and then support client experience. You know, the, you know, the one of the first things if you want referrals, as we all know, is to, to do obviously do the job right and and, uh, and make it easy for the client. And um, so yeah, it's the time and it's the uh, the poor client experience as well. Yeah, oh, definitely. It's uh, yeah, it's the outcome. And and mm. yeah, quite often I have that conversation about you know what you're saying about you know. And it's an argument around and 50% of brokers will be on the, the fence. Sure. Oh, no, I can't request all the documents up front. Yeah. And the yeah. other, like, like, 
it's a better client experience. If I get mm. all the documents up front, I can yep. get a better solution and I can come to a result a lot faster and get your loan a lot, you know, processed a lot quicker for you, right? So yep. it's about, you know, the customer experience. So mm. to me, the outcome is, hey, I want to get that client alone proved in the, the fastest way possible. Where so for some clients, the client experience, I don't want to bother them with too much information sure. up front. Yeah. Um, so the view of what, you know, makes a client experience is different um, in in a couple of different camps, right? Sure. But when it's you get same, to, yeah, same thing applies to the fact find. You know, the 50-50 on the fact find. Do you get the client to fill it out, or you know, do you pre-fill it or fill it out for the client? And it's the same debates raging at the moment, and probably will rage forever. Um, but yeah, look, I, yeah, I, sorry, not to take you off your path, but um, you know, we, we we for example would part of my client experience is not having a client fill out paperwork. I want to make it super easy for the client. Um, so we would we'd get the documents from the client and then we would pre-fill the fact find with the information from the documents. We've already got the information there. Why are we asking them to fill out where they work or you know what their bank balances are when we have it all? So um, anyway, yeah, back to you, sorry. Yeah, I love that point though. I think that was a, a really good point because you know, I know CBA did a survey um, a few years back in terms of um, why customers chose to do loans with brokers. Mm. I remember the number one answer that came back on the survey that they did was because brokers make the process easier for the client, right? So yep. in focusing on a, a world where, you know, the client is in the center of the transaction, you know, how can we do everything in our business to make it easier for the client? And I'm with you in terms of, you know, uh, if you've got all that information, the classic is, you know, like a fixed rate request form, right? So yep. you know, I always used to tell my staff, hey, don't just send it out blank, send it out yes. with all the, we've got all this information, yep. pre-populate it and send it out. And, you know, I'm the same. I'm, you know, um, one of the banks that I deal with, I hate when they send me out a form and I have to complete all of the yeah. information, all the assets, and I've, they've already got all that information, yeah. right? Why, why should I, as the the, the customer, um, complete that information? So, yeah, I think Absolutely. it's, a, you know, from a client experience point, um, yeah, it's it's a game changer. Yeah. So let's talk on a bit more on client experience, right? Mm -hmm. So... In terms of client experience, and one of the things uh, that we were sort of talking just before we got on air as well was about how you can present solutions in real time, right? Sure. And to me, with the technology and I think, you know, where business is moving, this is exciting, right? And I think, you know, 53% of loyalty is built at the point of sale, but a lot of brokers are hiding behind emails and and not sort of getting on the front foot. So I'd love you to talk to me a, a bit on this point and mm. you know, what brokers can do to you know, you know to sort of sexy up the way that they sort of present. Sure. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Fifty-three percent. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that number. But um, look, what, one of the things I started doing in 2011 when I was sort of trying to scale my practice was. I didn't want to be out five nights a week, right? So I started doing sort of non-face-to-face -face and a lot of trial and error over the last sort of, you know, first year or two. Uh, but the biggest thing that changed the game when doing non-face-to-face, -face, and this is going back, you know, 10 years, was 
um, presenting solutions in real time. You know, what, I don't, what it means is, you know, back then I was on Skype, you know, getting on a Skype, sharing your screen and actually walking them through step by step, you know, this is, you know, this is what you what we talked about. This is what you're after. This is the funding. This is the policy. Then we go on to the rates. Then we go on to, you know, at the end, talk about debt recycling or talk about, you know, how interest works for first home buyers or whatever it might be, right? Um, but it was all the biggest change to the process was presenting in real time. And it's another trade-off. I still like a lot of brokers ask me today, like, you know, why do you do that? I send them like an article on how I do it, and they're like, oh, that takes an extra hour. You know, or an extra, you know, an extra hour to do that that presentation. And it's like it's a trade-off because yes, it is going to take you an extra 30, 45 minutes or an hour to prepare it and present it in real time, as opposed to a five-minute email and you know, we summarize it for the client. But you 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 kill objections in real time. So you know, you, you can you can answer objections in real time. You're building a lot of trust uh, and rapport with the client. You take the focus away from rate. Um, by, you know, sell, selling, I hate use word selling, but you take the focus away from rate by talking about structure or strategy. You find something to sell the client on other than rate. Um, and every now and then I will, I learn a lesson every couple of years. I re, I like to relearn lessons for some reason. Every now and then I'll just eat, every now and then I go, oh, shit, I'm busy today. I'm just going to email this one. And sure enough, uh, something goes wrong. When, you, when you're doing that presentation in real time, a couple of things happen. One, everyone's on the exact same page about what you're going for, what the issues are, that you've answered all their questions. You've also set yourself up as the expert. I had a broker the other day, Travis, saying that, you know, he was talking to a client and, and they'd talked to three brokers and no one had jumped on a call with this client and actually walked them through a full strategy on how they're going to do it. You know, no one, right? So immediately gets a deal. Doesn't just get the deal now but gets to refinance or, or whatever in two or three years' time, you know, because you are now the go-to guy. Um, so it's a trade-off. Yes, it's going to cost you an extra 45 minutes or something like that up front, but the trade-off, that you know, the, the future benefits with stickier clients, referrals, repeat business. Um, you know, I've, I've, I think I might have had one clawback in 15 or 16 years that I didn't expect, you know, that didn't, you know, it just came out of the blue. And a lot of that, I think, is because, you know, that initial presenting solutions in real time and really educating the client about, you know, what they, educating the client about the whole process. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and I was going to unpack that because there was so much sure. gold in, sure. in the hat that uh, I'm going to unpack it, right? So in terms of if we look at it, right, so I think that what I took away from, from that is, you know, by presenting solutions in real time, one, we're selling an actual solution and a way to be transactional um, is to just sell on rate, right? A way to be relational is to sell on solution, right? So if we're selling on rate alone, what are they comparing us in the future mm -hmm. when something comes up, yep. right? Right. So um, you're, as you said, you're much likely to have retention issues if you're selling purely on rate alone. Yep. And if you're selling on solution, which is the, what you spoke about in terms of really adding value at the point of sale where we're challenging, we're educating, we're talking about um, things like you know, wealth creation, property investment, debt recycling, mm -hmm. uh, those types of things. And we're providing a long-term solution um, because 
you know, and if I look back to my uh, mortgage broking days, I did a lot of property investment, right? So the wealth that you can create someone by, you know, freeing up the borrowing capacity to buy another property, you know, yeah. if it's a $500,000, um, you know, property, if, if that property is then going to grow each and every year at, you know, let's say $35,000 per annum, right? So that $35,000 per annum, that we're going to grow through their property portfolio growth is a lot more than the 0.1 or 2% sure. in interest rate, right? But yeah. if you don't package that up and you don't package that up as the solution in terms of, you know, what that long-term plan is, the only thing they're going to go off is the transaction, which is the rate. So, yeah. you know, so much value in terms of what you're saying about presenting that and handling the solutions you know, the referrals, the repeat business. I'm sure the same brokers that say to you, oh, it takes too much time, are probably the same brokers that are sitting there doing a lot of the admin stuff and doing a lot of the contact post, sure. post the actual um, solution, right? So yep. you and I probably do the solution. We do a handover. We have teams that run that. Yep. They're probably yep. the go-to person after that. Whereas you realize yep. the money is in this conversation, then right. you'll change the way you view this whole conversation. Absolutely. And one of the things that I noticed when I was growing my practice was, you know, you'd be busy, you know, uh, start, starting, you know, you'd be really busy. And then you would cut off a piece and you'd delegate that out. And you'd be like, oh, I've just delegated out, you know, five hours of work for the week. Great, I've got five hours back. And what happens is you somehow that you, you end up getting more business coming in to fill that five hours. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, know how, don't know why, but... The, uh, you get more business coming in to fill the five hours. Um, just back to the presentation one, you know, one question I'm, I always ask, you know, even first home buyers is, you know, what's your plan for the property? Is it, is this a stepping stone property to your next, you know, your next one? Is it going to be an investment property? Looking for something to sell them on, right? Because if they, if they are a first home buyer, but they've got plans to buy investment property, as you said, then, you know, you're, you're pitching that to them, how this structure now is going to help them do that in the future. So, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, is there anything else that you want to add in terms of that whole client experience um, around, you know, again, maybe it's something with that you do within Broker Engine or the reason that you put that in Broker Engine? Because I think you know, it's important to understand, you know, yes, this is the tool, but what sits the thinking behind the tool? And because you're the founder and you've, you've done a lot, what is the thinking of the client experience that sort of goes behind the tool? Yeah, look, um, the, the, you can, I think there's a misconception, maybe, you can automate a great client experience. You can. I, th I think some people might think that, oh, no, it's got to be me. It's got to be me, you know, drafting that email just for that client at formal approval. You know, you, know, you, can, you can automate a really great client experience. Um, so Broker Engine is all about allowing you to build the ex exact experience you want, you know, at settlement, at formal, at docs issue, whenever it might be. You can build whatever experience you like. Uh, into there um you know some things that i've done for 10 plus years is you know sending out what we call a shop and or pack you know so when a new lead comes in they get a a posted shop what we call a shop and or pack which can be different things but you know clients love to see that you follow a process they love to see a process unraveling and um, broker engines allows you to basically build in your amazing client experience so it's automated and your team can just follow the bouncy ball yeah exactly right and you know, it gives you confidence, right? When you say clients love that mm. in terms of, 
and if you look at the elements of what makes a great sale, I know you, I like you, I trust you, mm. right? Part of, and probably the hardest one to build is that trust element. But I think by having a, you know, a solution in the terms of a, a system or a process that you're following, one of the things that it does is it gives that client the confidence that, hey, I'm dealing with a professional organization, right? So, you know, I, I, if I sort of bring to mind a customer experience, something like, I don't know if you've ever done the bridge climb in Sydney, right? But from the moment that you walk in, it's such a well-oiled process um, that it makes a really great customer experience because Mm. the way they do it is, is really, really well. And you know, like it's a a formulated sort of uh, process, but you know, it creates an outstanding customer experience at the end of the day. Um, So I I think, you know, what you're saying around creating that process that gives clients confidence is, is great. Awesome. Anything else, Um, you know, an example of, you know, ways that brokers can use tech to, to deliver a better client experience? There's heaps of tech solutions out there. I won't sort of get too much in the weeds on that. But I think, um, you know, maybe not not quite to your answer, but have you, are you familiar with the Bolt system, the Bull, Owl, Lamb and Tiger? Have you heard of that one before, Ross? Oh, and the different it. client profiles? So this is one that I've sort of, uh, a guy from St. George, my BDM from St. George eight years ago, put me onto this Bolt system. And effectively, it's um, it goes back to that presenting in real time and there are sort of four types of clients right there's a, the bull uh, which is your that's your ceo busy just get straight to the point yeah. there is the lamb that's your your mum, you know and she's more about the lovey-dovey you know security for the family there is the owl that's the accountant right he's all about the numbers and then there's a tiger i don't quite get the tiger or also known as a peacock i don't quite get that one but the other three when i come to present solutions in real time I'm just going back to that one you pick up you pick up in some of your questions around who they are. If it's that CEO bull type, man, you're straight to the point. You know, you're not waffling. You just bang, 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 bang. Normally the quickest appointment you ever do, 20 minutes, and they'll sign up straight away, right? The lamb, you've got to obviously talk about security for the family and how this is going to, you know, the kids can paint the walls and whatever. The owls, yeah, like numbers. So I think um, it's not a tech question, but uh, certainly tailoring, when, when you're presenting solutions in real time, you can actually tailor it for the type of client you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think yeah, that's important, uh, and I think that's you know when you're presenting online, that's why visuals are so important, mm. right? Because you don't yeah. have yeah. And I teach a lot of this in my my program in terms of you know you don't have that rapport power. So you know in a face to face appointment, you spend a lot more time you know, naturally building rapport. There's the social yeah. cues, there's the body language, there's all those things. And quite often in those types of appointments, I would never even pull out a laptop, right? Because yes. it's, yeah. it's more about the face-to-face. But when you're in a dynamic, like on Zoom, um, it's, it changes, right? Mm-hmm. It, it now becomes about your presentation power. And yeah. so it's using the tools to be able to talk through a visual, which is a lot more powerful, you know, over Zoom because, you know, and I asked a group of clients the other day, how much time do you spend doing the whole rapport thing on Zoom? Mm -hmm. And 
it's virtually none, right? Straight yeah, down yeah, business. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that sort of hour-long appointment is down to probably 20 or 30 minutes when yeah, you do yeah. it over Zoom. So this is why the need for a presentation uh, becomes really important, right? Um, because yeah. as you say, it's it's not transactional. It's the value add part of the appointment that challenges, educates, and you know really ties everything together. So yeah, I can't stress enough, especially in this sort of virtual world that we're in now, that um, yeah, get off the phone, get on Zoom, yeah. and yeah. use use the tools, right? Uh, use ah, the absolutely. tools. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, so much value. Um, yeah, hearing from yourself in terms of your whole journey in sort of broking to sort of using the 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 knowledge and the pain points that you've. Um, again, to put it into a tech solution, which is uh, I've got many clients that that use Broker Engine and rave about it. Uh, and you know, I, I know in speaking with you and the team, you've got plans to continue to evolve it uh, mm -hmm. over over the next coming years, which is yeah. exciting as well. But in terms of you know, one of the questions I ask in sort of closing is if you were Sort of to give one piece of advice for somebody who is really looking at scaling and taking their business to the next level, what what would be your sort of one sort of tip for them? Oh, look, I think it's all the ones we. I mean, one tip, the one tip, uh, probably probably start hiring a bit earlier than you think you, you need them, maybe. Um, but everything we just talked about, I mean, probably hiring and starting to fireproof, yeah, get your systems in order and hiring uh, would be probably the main tip, start to fireproof. Yeah, because as, as you scale, that, that one little error ends up, you know, costing you hours and stress. So start fireproofing early on and start building on your systems. Like I'm still building my workflows to today, still tweaking. They're always changing, you know, always changing things. And uh, so yeah, start early. Yeah, it's... Um... It's interesting you say that. Right? I, was, I was doing a podcast with Annie Kane this week and uh, on sort of the habits of, of being a billion dollar broker. And you know, I switched it around and asked her, I said, look, you interview so many people. Uh, yeah. you know, what would be your number one tip on sort of you know, what brokers are telling you? Hmm. And she said exactly the same point that you said, right? I wish I'd hired sooner. And yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great message for a lot of brokers in terms of, and I said this to one of my clients the other day, if you can afford three months worth of salary, pull the trigger. Like, What yeah, have you yeah. got to lose, right? Yeah. Most brokers right. are telling you it's the one thing that they wish they should have done sooner. Yeah, Go ahead and pull the trigger. And I think in summary, in terms of summarize what we've talked about today, I think from looking at the fireproofing your business, uh, and we do that by creating a really good systems and processes. And to be in a business, like you said, that's constantly evolving. We're not in a um, business, we're in a practice because we go in every yeah. day, we practice to try to get better each and every day. Uh, yeah. And then obviously creating that great client experience, uh, which comes down to you know presenting solutions in real time because that's where the magic happens that's where the loyalty is built and that's where you're going to get the repeat and referral business so yeah, been a great chat um so thanks again craig good on you ross thanks again
All right, this has been another episode of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. If you'd like to stay in touch, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. One, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast channel. Two, uh, jump onto the Facebook group, uh, Billion Dollar Broker for Mortgage Brokers. Uh, or three, jump onto billiondollarbroker.com.au and you can make an inquiry there. And just Craig, if people want to get in contact with you uh, and are interested in your software solution in Broker Engine, what can they do, bud? There's a uh, go to brokerengine.com.au. On the top right, there is a big green button for book a demo. Beautiful. Thanks. All right. Thanks again, Craig.